The Sports Gambling Podcast Network and the Inside Vegas Podcast are brought to you by MyBookie.ag. MyBookie is the official online sportsbook of the Sports Gambling Podcast. Get the props, parlays, in-game wagering, you all you need. MyBookie.ag has everything for you. And if you sign up using the promo code SGP50, you'll receive a 50% deposit bonus today. Play, win, and get paid at MyBookie.ag. The Sports Gambling Podcast Network and the Inside Vegas Podcast are also brought to you by Amazon. You probably already shop at Amazon, but why not shop at Amazon and support the Sport Gambling Podcast? podcast. All you have to do is log on to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Amazon, bookmark that link and use it every time you shop to help support the podcast today. Let it ride. And as always, thank you for listening to the Inside Vegas podcast. Coming to you live from Las Vegas on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. It's the Inside Vegas Podcast, and we are here to break down everything for the week that was before prior, as well as look at a fascinating conversation and an interview that I hope you guys will really enjoy with CJ Kaltenbach, who's going to be talking with me about everything and everything DFS world versus the sports betting world. His time as um, at the Nas- uh, Sports Betting National Championships, all the success he's had in the DFS world, um, how you can actually make money at DFS, and everything and everything between. It's one of the best interviews I think that we've done here. When we take a step back and look at this broad topic conversation of what these uh, leagues, entities can really learn from each other if sports betting is going to have the success that the daily fantasy world has had. So a great interview. Really excited for you guys to hear it. I mean, what a week in the sports world. Uh, whether you do do DFS or you, you uh, gamble, it's probably very likely you had a, a piece of Tiger Woods as it was one of the biggest losses uh, in many offshore books uh, histories, as well as a huge loss at William Hill. I believe it was 1.8 million, a better one. And an incredible story. Um, you know, think what you want about Tiger Woods. And I know a lot of people absolutely love him. Um, it is an incredible comeback story. Um, you know, that was something I kind of said before. I never thought he would win another major, uh, prove me wrong. So congratulations out there to him. It's absolutely incredible. Hopefully you cashed in on that, but, um, you know, kind of a weird week right now, or, you know, kind of as we look through this, I mean, NBA playoffs here, uh, with everything going on there, we have baseball grinding in day in day out. So it's a busy time. Um, just a little bit of a different, you know, type of grind out there right now than the weekly schedules of the footballs and all that type of stuff of the world. So that kind of does it. I hope you guys enjoy this interview. It's one of my favorites that we've done really taking a broad topic, you know, conversational look at where the sports betting world can go um, and what it can learn from DFS, the differences. And like I said before, everything and everything. CEO of Arbor Pro, you could find CJ on Twitter at the Siege DFS, his website, arborpro.com. If you are looking for DFS content, some of the best in the business there uh, that we'll break into and kind of his accolades and accomplishments in the space. One of the most successful DFS players in the world, over 2 million in earnings has done it all in the space. So hope you guys enjoy this. This is CJ Kaltenbach of arborpro.com. And now joining me on the Inside Vegas podcast to talk all things in the daily fantasy world. Somebody that needs no introduction. I know I gave him one earlier, uh, but the CEO of Arbor Pro, uh, arborpro.com is the website. 19 fantasy world championships, 4 million in one site. CEO, CJ Kaldebach, how are you doing, my friend? I know that we just uh, were able to finally meet up in Vegas outside of Super Contest Proxy, so it was good to kind of see you, but how has everything been since the last time we were together, man? 
It was good. You know, the funny thing is uh, we actually have to update that website since uh, we won another two this weekend. So I guess it's up to 21 now. Look at you go. I see I see what you did there. You're just going to put the humble brag in there. Good for you, bro. I, I, I just got I just wrote it down on my list of things to do. Got to update the site. <laughs> well, let's talk about that, man. And I know you, you kind of run the team over there, but let's kind of start with you before we break into all that type of stuff. Where did kind of this, um, you know, DFS bug get planted in your ear? Kind of what was your story that has led you to have so much success uh, in this industry? Again, over 2 million in DFS caches for you personally. I mean, that is absolutely incredible for an industry, much like sports betting. And I know we're going to get into kind of the differences between the industries and the people in them and all that type of stuff as we go. But kind of what is your background and stories to kind of how, you know, what led you to be able to be, you know, basically at the pinnacle of this type of career for you. Yeah. I mean, first of all, that, those are very kind words. Appreciate that. Um, but uh, so I was, my story is really weird. It's just kind of one of those things like right place, right time situations. I was waiting for bar results to come back. Like if you, anyone who's taken the bar for, as a lawyer, you know, you take that thing in July, you don't get the results till October, November, somewhere in that area of the world. And so I just had three months. And my boy is like, you should check out DraftKings. Like, you like sports. And I'm like, yeah, this will be great. You know, and like most new players at the time, I, I did not win right away. <laughs> yeah. But then I was like, let me just, you know, like if I put some effort in this, like this should be beatable, right? It, it felt like it was a very unsolved game at that point, um, especially like in like the smaller, like the small field tournaments. I was like, this is, let me just build a basic model. And if I released what that basic model was today, like only three years later, it would like get laughed at. Yeah, but at the time that was all you needed, right? Um, and just started winning, winning, winning. Um, and then you know, by the time it came, you know, past the bar, it was like, well, I could go take a sixty-hour-a-week job and take a forty-percent pay cut, or I can just see where this goes. And like most people with a brain, I decided to see where it went. That's so funny. You, you kind of brought that up, man, because I want to get a, a little bit of glimpse in your soul because for me, like, again, I, I know some people know this, some people don't. I was in the Coast Guard for nine years before I made this jump. And really what vaulted me into sports betting was DFS. I got my start in DFS as well, similar to you. This was, you know, again, the the DraftKings kind of boom. We're talking 2000, God, what, 2008, 2009 now was back then. And the game was so different, um, number in a variety of different ways. But when I made that jump, um, you know, to move to Vegas and handicap kept full time after being basically, you know, mostly DFS, not even knowing that DFS wasn't legal in Nevada when I moved and thought, oh my God, what have I done to myself here? Um, but I think it's, that's one of the most interesting topics is when you're going to, again, I'm sure you kind of amassed a little bit of student debt along the way of doing that. And kind of what was, where did people kind of look at you like you were crazy to kind of throw all that hard work away to jump into, you know, at that point, I would assume a, a largely unknown field like daily fantasy sports and kind of what led you to be so, you know, kind of convicted in your thought process. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I totally agree. I think there are people to this day that still have words uh, that are called insane. Um, <laughs> but, you know, at, at that point, it was kind of just you could kind of tell where it was going. Right. So, you know, like they, they hadn't even done like the huge advertising blitz and they were just growing, growing, growing. And you could just see like at least a bubble. I mean, maybe it's not a, a bubble's a bad word to, to say it, but like there was going to be like a lot more helium left in it. So there was no reason to, to get out. Like when you actually get into something early, you know, and you can ride all the helium, it makes literally no sense to jump off until, you know, the helium runs out. And, you know, are we there yet? I don't think so. Is that day coming? Maybe. 
that's so fascinating to me on the other side of that as well, because I think that largely the sports gambling world is that's where it is with legalization right now. And again, I mean, we're talking when all these different companies came up and started getting into the daily fantasy world. You saw, you know, the leagues get on board, DraftKings advertisements, FanDuel's, Yahoo has them. There's a million of them now. Um, but I think it's, you know, where DFS is now is I think where sports gambling is kind of that step one of where they aspire to be and can kind of go from there. But um, let, let's t- kind of talk about that and the differences between the two worlds. Um, I know you as well do kind of sports betting, um, of course, with the Super Contest, kind of, you know, as we talk behind the scenes and stuff like that, I know that that's a world that you enjoy as well. What are kind of the biggest differences, um, at least from a philosophical standpoint of kind of, you know, let's call it, just use the word handicapping for both fields to keep it simple here, but the biggest differences that you see, at least philosophically of, of for you when you uh, look to, you know, bet a game instead of uh, the DFS world and kind of the two different thought processes that go with that. Yeah. So in, in DFS, it's all about the ceiling outcome, right? You're looking for the 90 to 95th percentile outcome. So you're looking for, um, you know, baseball, you're looking for the team that scores 12 to 13 runs, right? Um, in the sports betting world, all you're looking for a much smaller, like median outcome. Like you're looking at like, what's the 50th percentile outcome in, in any certain game. And if that outcome of course is, you know, higher than 10% greater than what the number is like, that's a great bet. So it's just a completely different brain process. Whereas like one spot you're looking at straight, like what's the median projected outcome here versus in DFS where it's all about ceiling outcomes. I love that, man. Let's, let's, when we break this down, let's, what are the biggest differences again, not to, for you to sit here and give everything away, but different stuff for DFS or different leagues rather. And for me, um, the reason again, why I kind of got into sports betting is and even I incorporate most of this to this day. I use kind of my same quote unquote model for what I use for NFL DFS to have success, uh, and applied that to the player prop market within NFL and through betting, which has been one of the main things that I've done in that NFL market. Number one, have you been able to kind of apply that to the player prop, uh, projections market? In, in a very similar way um, and thought process that I have, or do you um, kind of look at it a little bit of a different um, point of view for that type of stuff? I mean, player props is definitely the easiest conversion, right? Um, you know, we have those numbers and it's really easy to just quickly put them in like where the lines, you know, where are the biggest differentials in our numbers and their numbers, um, you know, especially when it comes to evaluating injury news. So um, the best example of this was at the DK sports betting championships actually back in January um, and B got ruled out and they didn't touch the player prop numbers on Ben Simmons, Jimmy Butler. And I don't know who the third player was. It wasn't Tobias Harris at that time, but whoever it was like, they kept the player prop number the same for points. And it was just like, well, there, here's free money on the over. <laughs> like, <laughs> yep. just, and you know, in that tournament we had massive, like we actually had real limits on those games. So it was just like fire, 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 fire. Um, but that's always the issue with player props, right? It's the limits. Like you're not going to yep. get. Until they decide to actually hire someone from the DFS space to run it, which I think actually will come at some point, like they are going to be able to hire someone away to create a real player prop market because they haven't even explored everything they could do. Like they could have player prop competitions like the super contest, like the the world is open if they actually were able to set good numbers. They just haven't even touched it yet because I like. I don't know what you think, but for me, I just like, like, yeah, people are always going to bet totals and spreads, but I think if sports gambling is going to get to where it's where it can go, player props are going to kind of be the key. I completely agree with you. The problem I think that books have is again, like you said, number one, they're basically mirroring, uh, whatever, you know, 
analytical model is coming out through these computers and they're not really, you know, quote unquote, sitting there and make, they don't have a dedicated, you know, player prop, uh, you know, risk manager, let's call them, or somebody who's setting those lines. So it's largely a very niche and professional market. Every, you know, group a person I know that is what you, you know, people would consider a real professional and real sharp bets player props because the market is just, it's like exactly like you said, it's a very inefficient market because I think a lot of, you know, however that model is driven of how they're hanging those odds, number one, there's a ton of movement and, you know, chasing steam is never a good thing, but you can kind of see where the market is going to go um, based on injuries and stuff. So I completely agree. If you're able to incorporate every, you know, player props is the same, you know, it's the easiest parallel to fantasy sports. And if you want to attract that crowd, I think that is the way to do it. So I completely agree with you on that front. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely like the next wave and someone is going to try it. Um, I'm not sure who, but the person that tries it is going to be very much rewarded for it. Let's, um, when we break down different leagues, man, again, not to have you give everything away, but what is kind of the biggest differences or, or thought process that you have when we look across, let's just use kind of the main sports right now, uh, NFL, uh, baseball, MLB and the NBA, you know, is there any, is it, you know, kind of, if you're somebody's just getting into this or at least, you know, getting into dipping their toes into trying to do this as a second income or sole income, whatever the case may be for them, is there, you know, is it a completely different game from M uh, NBA to MLB to NFL or kind of the, the, the core kind of processes be kind of applied across the board. You just have to tweak things uh, based by league. I assume you're asking from a DFS perspective. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's good. I just want to make sure. Yeah. Um, I, I would say that there there's two sets of thought uh, of like things you have to evaluate. Um, like the game theory, like doesn't change across the sports. So like the, the way that you approach building a tournament team, uh, like contrarian styles, taking leverage against the field, those general concepts apply across all the sports and they're probably the most valuable. How to optimize, so for, is totally different based on the sports. So in basketball, for example, stacking, like if it goes to triple overtime, great, but otherwise it really doesn't hold a ton of value unless there's like a bunch of guys up, but most of the time generally stacking in basketball doesn't hold a ton of value. Whereas in football, you know, you do kind of want to have a quarterback running back wide receiver combo or a quarterback with two wide receivers, quarterback wide receiver tight end, you know, and sometimes you can even run it back with someone on the other side because if the game starts shooting out, both teams are going to score. So there's some stacking in football that has value, but in baseball, for example, like you just have to do it. Um, there's actually a quote of me out there uh, from a show I did that's just like me yelling into the microphone like you have to stack um, <laughs> tell me why and, expand on that I love that because I'm a huge fan of it as well tell me why though okay so like for example um, let's just say for example you don't have a stack right and you have um, I was going to use a Red Sox hitter but they can't score any runs so that's probably a really bad example in the moment like we can use uh, uh, Oakland versus Smiley a couple days ago comes to mind yeah, yeah so like let's just say for example you have Chris Davis with a K and he's coming up with the bases loaded right um, well, like, okay, he can get you, you know, a, a grand slam, right? That's great. But what if you also got points for all the runners that were scoring as well and all the hits they had just had, right? Because every at bat doesn't have the same amount of value. A, a bat that your player has with someone on first is way more better, more, way more valuable than a guy who has no runners on. Same idea if there's two runners on or three runners on. Those at bats are worth more because your hitter can score more points. So, like, you know, if a guy hits a solo home run, that's like 18 points. A grand slam is like 28. And that's just for the one hitter. But if you have the guys who score, now we're talking like 36. 
So that kind of implied value where you just are able to rack up all the points together. And then, of course, if your first guy gets a hit, it makes your second guy's at bat more valuable. And if he gets a hit, it gets your third guy better at bat. And that kind of, of course, just keeps spinning through. And that's why stacking the correlation is so strong. Let's, um, because I think that the the natural question that's going to come next is going to come by volume. Because when you're stacking, um, you know, how many, let's say, for you to give away how many, but what would you, you know, is it that more of a high volume play where you have to identify at least, you know, three to four teams that you want to stack with? Will you go a hundred percent stacks on every, on any given night of a baseball slate? And again, this could be applied to football, whether it be quarterback, wide receiver, quarterback, running back, all that type of stuff as well, really across the board, um, in any type of DFS situation. Um, but I think that the volume needed uh, to, you know, really cover your bases and, and make yourself profitable in DFS is something that, uh, for the recreational person may kind of scare them away because it can kind of add up if you're putting in, you know, these 20, 30 lineups. And again, I know the game has changed from where it was before, um, where it's a little bit of a more even playing field now being matched by skill level and all that type of stuff. But is there, you know, are you more somebody who just likes to go all in with one team on a edge and matchup that you've really identified from a stack versus a pitcher perspective, or do you kind of diversify that out and just play the volume games? I know a lot of professionals do as well. Yeah. So, I mean, there are definitely the guys that are playing the one fifties, like the 150 max and they can leverage every spot really well. And they do that well. And they turn a good profit doing that. Uh, that's not my cup of tea yet. Uh, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't, you know, working on that and trying to get my, that 150 game up to snuff. Um, but right now for me, it's not something I have optimized. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm not the guy who is doing that. Like I'm kind of the somewhere between three and 10 lineup a day, a night guy. Um, Cause I, and I, I feel like I can control that a little more. I can kind of control my exposures based on what I think, like every slate's different. Like, you know, um, last night, you know, uh, flying back from Miami, I just threw a hundred percent of the brewer stacks in. Um, but you know, uh, tonight's slate, like there's a bunch of different, you know, options. So maybe I'll be a little more spread out. Um, it really does kind of just depend on the slate what everyone else is going to do in baseball more than any other sport. You know, you only get four at bats. The variance in that is just so huge. I try to avoid being where everyone's going to be uh, just as a general rule. Um, cause it, cause it's just, you know, like in baseball, like, you know, even like the worst hitter can outscore the best hitter pretty like a, a shockingly high number of the time, just yep. based on sample size. Completely agree. Let's let's kind of expand on that, man. We talk about contrarian DFS playing. I think people will largely understand what contrarian sports betting is, but let's talk about DFS because you know it, that's a little bit of a, a you know a weird thing because in sports betting, when you look at contrarian, let's say that the eighty five percent of tickets are on a heavy favorite. I assume with you, you know, being so model driven, analytical driven, numbers driven, especially in a sport like baseball where there's so much data there, how do you you know how are you able to kind of walk that line of being contrarian, knowing that okay, you know this this hitter has a great matchup. This is a great stack, but I know the whole industry is going to be on them, even though, you know, your, you know, numbers or your models say that this is, you know, somebody that you have to have exposure to. How do you walk that line with being contrarian when all the numbers point to, you know what, even though this is chalk, this is the best play, you know, from my model or et cetera. Yeah, a lot of that comes down to like ownership exposure, right? So let's just say Oakland versus Drew Smiley, I think is an example you had, right? Um, I think that's a, that's a really good one. Um, now, um, let's just say that though the second best stack on the slate or the third best stack on the slate, right, is um, the dot. The Dodgers have been playing hitting really well. Let's say the Astros versus like a mid-level right-handed pitcher, right? Astros, we know elite offense can go off against anyone, but it's not a a, a jump that's coming come off the page. But if I was to tell you that 
you know, Houston's eight times less owned than Oakland. And I was just to make a bet with you. Like, who do you think scores more runs, Houston or the A's? But I'm going to give you eight to one on Houston. You're going to take Houston every time. Every time, yep. Right? So that's what you're basically doing in tournaments. And that's at a, and that's at a one-to-one conversion rate, right? And that's just like if we were betting, eight, like, you know, or eight-to-one conversion rate. In tournaments, though, when it pays off, it's not even eight-to-one. It's like 100-to-one, uh, 200-to-one, right? When you're trying to get to the top end of those tournaments. So, like, at, at the end of the game, like, being contrarian in DFS just has so much more upside given the top heaviness of the tournament structure. I love that, man. And being able to kind of fade the the one, two guys. Let's we've kind of talked a bunch about hitters as we break down baseball here. So let's flip to the other side of kind of the core positions of baseball, which is obviously pitchers. Is it the same kind of thought process that you have that, okay, um, you know, whoever you're gonna, you know, we're gonna talk we talked about fades, but if there's, you know, let's say DeGrom out there and you know that he, you know, he's facing, I don't know, let's call it Miami, um, regardless of, you know, walking that forward of the results, just from a philosophical perspective, are you much more likely to take the, you know, maybe the fourth or fifth highest ranked pitcher from your model, knowing that the top, you know, DeGrom and Scherzer that are out there are going to be one, two, and just be able to take that, you know, let's say quote unquote loss of those um, positions, knowing that no matter what happens that the whole industry or the whole tournament is going to be locked on to those guys. I mean, it's also dependent, right? It depends how good the fourth or fifth best option is. Like if the fourth or fifth option just sucks, then no, like you're just going to play the best option. But if the gap is small enough where it's like, okay, you know, that four or five times ownership gap is worth it, then yeah, like I absolutely will take the fourth or fifth guy. Um, but it, it always just depends on like what the other options are. Um, you know, I'm not sure when this is coming out, but like Tuesday night, I think is a really good example of a slate where you can definitely not play the top guys. Cause there's guys in that mid and cheap range that like have an upside um, and they're going to be low owned. So again, like if, even if you have a chance of matching the top guy for way less at way low ownership, that long-term is just the right play. Let's philosophically look at this kind of GPP versus cash, because I think that's one thing that um, people kind of struggle with is what is the right, you know, the right ratio to play tournaments. (laughs) Speak to me, man. Tell me all about it. Why? Because cash games are basically a soft game. Like if you were to just go like buy a good projection model system, and and there's a couple out there, but if you were just to go research it, buy it, you could turn about 3% on cash just on that alone. It's a pretty soft game. Uh, most of the players playing it have been playing it for closer to five or six years now. They're really good at it. Um, and it only takes one mistake in cash to just really doom you. Because again, cash games, again, are back. You're going back to median outcomes. It's like a sports better. If you make just a couple of mistakes while you're capping, that really affects your bottom line. And it's, you're going to have the same effect in playing cash games where median outcomes matter. Tournaments, it's all about ceiling outcomes. And if you make a couple mistakes or two, it's in the you know middle end. It's not going to kill you if you hit the ceiling I love a certain that, percentage of the time. I love that you just said that because I think that that's a really unique take on kind of the ratio and why cash maybe isn't as profitable as people think. Because I think that you're probably one of the only providers I've seen in the industry that in the DFS world that um, really kind of stays away from cash. I think that a lot of people are, you know, kind of 70, 30, 60, 40, maybe even 80, 20. But it's really interesting to hear you kind of take that um, approach and, you know, 
for me, I kind of, like I said, the game changed so much. You used to be able to literally click on somebody's profile, see exactly what their earnings were, see what their record was in cash, all that type of stuff. And as kind of sharks, you know, swam in this water, picking out new guys, they really had to kind of change this up. So I think it's, you know, you're going to be matched appropriately, especially if you're playing for a little bit of higher stakes um, in that field as well. You know, what have you kind of seen of how that's changed and that has that kind of, um, you know, affected your thought process on why cash isn't um, specifically, obviously, as profitable? but profitable really at all now? I mean, it, I mean, look, look, there are people out there that are really good at it, right? And I'm not going to say that, like, it's not, it's, it's not impossible. Um, just for me, I'm not much of a median outcome guy, but I'm, that's not really, I mean, you see a lot of the things I bet, you know, yeah. like it's plus 150, plus 170, plus 200. Um, you know, it's very rarely that I'm, I'm, I'm in on a big favorite. Um, so try to just project median outcomes. Like I, I do it. I have them, it, but it's not exactly like where my brain works the best. Yeah, just by contrarian nature makes sense. Yeah, it's just the nature of who I am. So it's like trying to play a game against the best players in the world where they have the mental edge is just not exactly something that I think is worth my time. I want to ask you something because I think it's probably one of the funniest things that I've ever heard, and it's one of the best things I've ever heard at the same time. Did, I don't want to say did, because I feel like I know the, the outcome or answer to this story. Did you give your mother a $200,000 lineup? And can you tell me about it? Because I think it's absolutely the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life. Let's be quite clear. I didn't give her shit. Um, <laughs> tell um, me about it, bro. So, I mean, like anyone else, she, I mean, she just subscribed. So she, she came out to visit one time and she's like, what the, f you know, you were asking like, did anyone like wonder what the hell you were doing in your life? You know, she can go right number one on the list. Like, what the hell are you doing? Yep. Um, so she came out and visited like 2015, 2016. And this was back when Sunday Night Baseball was on the main slate. And she's like, let me let me make a DK account. Let me put in like, let me play the $27 payoff pitch. And I was like, oh, this is a mistake. But I was like, yeah, like 20, <laughs> 27 bucks, no problem. I was just like, you have to stack. Like, I, at least I got that lesson in. Yep. And so, I, you know, I didn't bother her team the rest of the day. My team just, just got awful. It's a that's a terrible day for me. And I was like, oh, by the way, what did you play? Like six hours later, she's like, I stacked the Sunday night baseball game. And it's like Dodgers at Pittsburgh and like Kershaw's on the mound. And I don't remember who's pitching for Pittsburgh, but it was someone good. And I was like, well, that was, she's like, there's dead last. And like by the seventh inning, the score is 11 to 10. <laughs> and you're just like, she finishes like second in her first ever big tournament. And ever since then, she just kind of plays recreationally, you know, just kind of keep involved with what's going on with me. She plays like 200 bucks a week. And I think it was like week three this year, football season, I had taken this huge girly versus Kamara stand um, or Kamara over girly stand. And I, but I had a ton of value wide receivers I liked. So I, I had my rankings as I always do, like top quarterbacks, top running backs, top receivers. All she did, instead of just taking a stand on Kamara versus girly, all she did was plug them both in plug in all the value receivers from my list and away she went. This and is it's so like, awesome. And she should have won the million dollars. Like Matt, like one of the, one of the worst beats I have ever seen. Like she took one of the worst beat DFS beats I've ever seen. <laughs> and then she won like, she won like three seats to the live final, like a hundred thousand in cash. I was just like, and I had a really good week and I was like, well, I'm not screenshotting that because that means absolutely nothing when your mom wins like a quarter million dollars. <laughs> that's so good, man. So, so I felt so dumb though. I was like, why didn't I look at my player? So that's why sometimes like being outside the bubble is so helpful where it's just like, well, why don't you just play all the good players that you like instead of just some? And I was just like, oh yeah. After the fact, it looks so obvious, doesn't it?
Yeah, when you when you have outside eyes that are able to take a step back and not be in it every day, it's it, it's amazing what can happen out there. But that's that. I mean, that's the thing. With that isn't that the appeal of DFS? I think because look, it's when you talk. We're going to break down this right now as kind of sports betting philosophy versus um, DFS philosophy. But isn't that the appeal of a you know a, a DFS tournament? Is anybody can kind of do this and get lucky? I guess the equivalent in the sports betting world would be you know a four or five leg parlay that you, you see these people kind of hit all the time. Um, but or, or having epiphanies. Yeah. Talk about that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, that is the appeal, right? And that's why DFS really, I don't think is ever going to go anywhere because the idea of turning $10 into $100,000 is always going to be appealing to people, right? Like that's always going to be fun. Um, and that's and that's where I think DFS is always going to be kind of a nice um, partner to, to sports betting where, you know, you know, it, yeah, you can hit five or 16 parlays and but whatever, like we all know the vast majority of those just go, you know, you can light that paper on fire. That's about the only value you're going to get out of that. Right. Um, you know, it's the heat value. So I, I the, the appeal of DFS is like you could definitely be building plus EV lineups like that doesn't take a ton of effort. Right. Um, if you if you again, like you, hell, if you subscribe to Arbor Pro, you like that, you, like you'll be building plus EV lineups. But it always is going to take a while for you to realize that expectation. So game selection matters. Um, bankroll management matters. Those types of things obviously matter, um, just like they do in the sports betting world. But the upside, of course, is you know, hundred thousand dollars in one night. Completely, man. And, uh, you know, I would liken cash lineups to making a minus 110 bet of a straight bet. And I would liken, you know, the GBPs as the kind of the parlay. And I think that there's a way to bridge that. And we'll kind of break into what that when we talk about kind of the future. But moving back to um, betting versus DFS, I think that there's a fascinating conversation to be had here with everything that's going on. Of course, you know, DraftKings, FanDuel breaking into the sports betting world with uh, a little bit of mixed results, let's say, just, you know, being new in the space and, and, you know, kind of doing things a little bit differently, kind of taking the offshore model of allowing, you know, bets on things that Vegas would never, but it's going to attract that type of, you know, new customer that's new, new to the space um, a little bit easier. The first question I have for you is something that is kind of, I think, near and dear to both of our hearts. And that is when we talk about sports betting, the industry itself versus the DFS industry, not thought processes, not anything else. I want to ask you this question of uh, DFS providers, lineup providers, you know, websites like yourself. You said, again, go over to arborpro.com, subscribe versus the tout market of uh, sports betting, because I think that the first question anyone gets asked when they make that their place selections available for purchases. If you're a professional, if you're doing this, why do you need this, you know, $200 to sell your plays? Can't you just bet more money on yours? If you're so good, you're going to move this, you're going to move that your you know, players aren't going to be able to get this. What are kind of your thoughts on the biggest differences between, um, you know, DFS providers, um, versus kind of the tout industry and kind of the similarities and differences of them? Because from my perspective, touting, you know, sports betting plays just has been so littered and again, this is probably because it's been around for so much longer. There's obviously, you know, bad people and good people in both spaces of providing lineups, DFS type of stuff um, versus the tout industry. Um, but it has a much more kind of black eye than um, the DFS providing world. And again, I know you're one of the leaders in that space. What are your kind of takeaways between those two kind of, uh, it's called job outcomes, I guess. Yeah, I mean, so like there are people in the, in the space that just do give out lineups, like, right? They just give out lineups. The, the, so it's funny. I, I, I'm going to say this and maybe I'm going to get this person in trouble. And if I do, I'm sorry. Don't say the name uh, then. No, I'm not going to say the name, but I was talking to someone, um, high up in a comp one of these companies. And it's shockingly how many of the people that are like just giving free lineups out on Twitter, like just to lineups. we don't give out lineups. We just give out information. Like, like we don't give out lineups, but like the people that give out lineups, they're fake. 
they're never even playing them on any of their sites, mm-hmm. right? And so obviously it's tough to enforce that. And, and so there is definitely like this dark market DFS world um, like there is in the sports betting world. And it's super annoying. Like, I mean, we complain about it all the time. Um, and it sucks because like, it'd be nice if people could just have access to good information. Like they're just, why, why does there have to be fake news out there? Right? Like why? Yep. Like there's so many good providers in both spaces. Yep. But I think the sports betting guys get a bigger rap because it's just they they push the edge so far. It's like hundred unit bomb play, and it's yeah. just like they're betting nine hundred units a day, and it's like, come on, dude! Like it, like they just they go so much farther than like any even like the worst of the DFS lineup sellers. So I mean that's probably why they get a worse reputation. What is kind of when we when we talk about that, um, you know, you keep saying, you know, we can't give lineups, can't give lineups. Why is DraftKings kind of or DFS as a whole, FanDuel, Yahoo, whatever the case may be? Um, for anyone that doesn't know, that is, you know, against their terms. That is, there is a little bit of a situation with um, one of their new sports betting podcasts and a provider that uh, was giving out lineups that kind of had to be rectified um, before that show could continue as it violated their terms of service. Why do you think the, um, you know, let's say hosts of these DFS sites, DraftKings, FanDuel's, whatever, whoever you're playing, um, have really tried to do that? And how has it affected the providers like you in the space? Because from my point of view, again, not that I'm deep into the DFS world anymore, that is almost like a, you know, tout uh, handicapper not being able to give out picks on, um, you know, for uh, any offshore book, any book that is is, um, you know, operating brick and mortar legally or, or whatever the case may be. How has that kind of affected you? And why do you think they had to take that type of a stance? Well, first of all, I think it was a good stance because like, it, like you didn't want to be playing against like, you know, if you're playing like a 50 man cash game and 25 pay and there's like 30 people have the same lineup, like it, for a new casual player, it was just this huge, you know, barrier to entry, right? It was like, oh, these guys all know everything. We're really obviously they were just paying some dumb Twitter scrub, like, you know, $10 a day for a lineup. Um, and most of the time wasn't even that good. I I just think that you can do it by providing the information. Um, you know, like for example, like you do awesome write-ups for your picks, right? Um, if you just wrote up every game and you didn't write the last sentence that's in bold, 99% of the people that bought your article would know what the play was. Yep. Right. And it's really no different than that. Like if I write up, um, Matt Boyd is my number one pitcher or like as a top pitcher on the slate, right? Or the number one pitcher on the slate. If you look at my lineups in four hours, guess who's probably going to be on them. It's going to be Matt Boyd, right? So just by not having to get like, actually just something that we, as long as you make people have to like kind of read it, work it um, themselves, like it's, that's different, right? That's just providing information. Um, but just like giving things away. It's just, a, in tournaments, you don't want to have the same lineup as everyone else because the point is to play for the $100,000. Getting duplicated is like literally the worst thing you can do. Um, so honestly, anyone who's any good in this space would like never give out a lineup because like if they ended up playing something like that, you don't want to have like 50 people tying with you. Like that's literally the worst case scenario uh, when you build a tournament team is that you're duplicated. Um, so there, it, like it would just affect even like the providers ROIs too much. That's so funny that you say that, man, because that's the big difference, I think, when it comes to pick sellers and it comes to DFS lineup providers, because 
you know, DFS is you versus another person. Sports betting is you versus a book. Now, the you know the other side of that from the pick side is, you know, if you give this out and you have a following and you have people with deep pockets, the line is going to move. Um, so it, that it can affect your return that way. But it's just so interesting to hear you talk about that because it's really, you know, in theory, you know, being a, uh, you know, lineup provider or a pick seller, it hurts your own bottom line a little bit more than I think people think. And I think that that's when detractors are out there saying, that the model of doing this on both sides isn't sustainable because it's going to affect everybody's return uh, differently, whether it be instead of getting a minus one, you know, or a plus 110, you get even, you get a minus 105 from pick sellers after that goes out, or from the DFS side, instead of, you know, taking down a, a tournament with a sole lineup, now you have three people that way and you're splitting that GPP price three ways. Do you see it like that as well? I think the, the difference in, in sports betting is a lot smaller than in DFS. Like if you split three ways on a hundred thousand at first, you get like 35,000 instead of a hundred thousand. Whereas like, yeah, like, don't get me wrong. Like I'm not underestimating the difference between plus plus one ten and minus one ten. No, I agree. Yep. And like, and that matters, but we're that like, that's not a, you know, a $65,000 mistake either. Right. <laughs> like you're not going to, it's not, you're not taking something from plus 500 to plus 125. Like, I guess it's possible, but like, or a 500 to one instead of you're trading it to like 125 to one, like possible, but like it, that just in DFS would just be such a long-term killer. Completely agree, man. Um, anything else you think is worth mentioning when it comes to kind of the differences? Cause I think it's such a fascinating conversation to have versus when you really break down, you know, sports betting versus DFS and how DFS has almost kind of provided the model of where the sports betting industries kind of want to go. Where you see these new companies kind of, you know, popping up every day into this new market as it gets legal. Um, is there anything else? I mean, it's a little bit opposite in that DFS was always was legal everywhere. And then States had to kind of make it illegal. Whereas sports betting was legal nowhere except Vegas, um, or Nevada. And now, it is becoming legal um, with everything. So I think it's just a fascinating kind of, you know, back and forth uh, relationship that the two industries will always have. But anything else that kind of, um, you know, makes sense to talk about when, when we talk about comparing the two? A little bit. I, I kind of want to talk about like these contests that like the, the, like the sports betting contests that Let's are going to be because I think that's probably my. And so I, I did the DraftKings one in January and don't get me wrong. It was an unmitigated disaster. But, um, <laughs> Tell me why, because I've heard a lot of different things about it. I mean, like. The first one of these was always going to be a disaster, right? So it didn't matter if they ran this one in January, two years. Like the first one was always going to be an issue. The biggest problem that DraftKings ran into is that they weren't setting their own markets. And so what happened was I had a I had a plan, and I was just going to go all in Gonzaga second half against at San Francisco. Like it was the biggest game in San Francisco basketball in the first in the like forever, and they, they were going to show up hot. Like they were just going to play well in the first half. And so I had this whole plan to have every one of my bets settled, you know, give myself about a half an hour window, have everything settled so I could go all in Saturday night for about eh, like 25,000, 30,000 on Gonzaga. Um, and it didn't quite, I was at like 15, 16. So it didn't quite work out the way I had planned. Like I was trying to like have, have a lot more money. So I, but I log on the app, try to bet it. And it wasn't available to live bet. Like the market wasn't there. And this was the ESPN nationally televised game. <laughs> yes. But you could do Idaho State, like Sacramento State. And I walked into the, the and I'm like, why can't I bet this game? They're like, our provider in England didn't set a market for this game. And I'm like, what? it's the national TV game. How the can we can't we bet it? You could swear, bro. You could drop the F bomb. Say, why oh, the fuck can't this I happen? I was so mad. I was I, look, was I, had I had a one too many to drink at that point? Yeah, but I was not happy. 
I said, there's fucking Idaho State, Sacramento State, and I can't bet the nationally TV game that's on every TV, by the way, in the room. I just – so then I'm – now, like, my whole plan's out the window at this point. Like, I think I had a very reasonable expectation to assume the national TV game on Saturday night, which was, like, our last window to bet, would be available to bet. And so it's like, all right, let's just I'm start dropping like 4K on like third, live in, hot, in, in period totals because I just needed to build the role to have any chance on Sunday. And I was just like that. I mean, of course, then Gonzaga wins the second half by like 25. Mm-hmm. It was just like, like the plan was perfect. Just got screwed by something that it was way outside of my control. Um, and, you know, like the whole controversy thing, like they ran horribly. And I also had the second half under for my entire bankroll. So that's how I knew DraftKings was going to get screwed. Um, like, it was a lock the whole time, and then the Chargers were calling damn timeouts. But, like, I think they kind of got unlucky on that. But I also think that, like, if you're going to offer a contest like that, you've got to make sure everything's available. Like, yeah. everything's available. Do you think it was that an accurate... Said it was a ton of fun. Yeah, do you think it was an accurate representation? Because to me, that's all, that's like playing in a blackjack tournament rather than playing blackjack for money because it's all game theory because you're you're starting out with a specific bankroll and you have to build it, you know, you have to put it in play. You have to do specific things to build it as quickly as you can. So you have to go down the parlay route, uh, the teaser route, the long shot route. It's more game theory than I think is an, is more of an accurate representation of actual kind of, you know, winning. It's, um, a, it's, it's, yeah. it's a sports betting GPP. Yep. Which is why, I, which is why I think it's kind of a nice correlation. I like. To, I want. I'm hoping someone does it for football in the fall. Because, like, yes, it's like I feel like the normal sports betting world right now is like the cash games. Like you built, like it's your 10 percent edge, your 10 percent, you know, 8 uh, percent edge, and then like these tournaments are like the GPPs. So it's like, all right, you got 72 hours, you know, to run this bad boy up. Tell me what you thought about it. You said it was a ton of fun. What did you like about it? And again, this is a nice little segue into kind of the future if we want to get off the, the topic of comparison of them. But um, was it something, again, I, I know that they were, going to, I think they knew that they were going to take it as a marketing loss. They were going to lose some money on it just based on the rules of how they did it you know, versus their entries. But what was good about it? Could it, you know, improve into something that could be the, you know, the quote unquote World Series of Poker or uh, DFS National Championships or, or all that type of stuff? You know, the, oh, the, yeah. the concept and model, I think is amazing. Um, you know, so Tell me what you did kind of like about it and kind of what you would change in the future to make it that level of event. I like the, I like, I like the, I like the idea of it. I like the format. Um, I think they'd be better off not having it be real cash next time. So like, you know, have it be like play money, like you like in a blackjack tournament, right? You're not using real money because by using real money, they ran into some issues. Um, so I think that would be a nice, I mean, you know, you, you buy in for 10,000 and you get, you know, Instead of like having like half of it go to your bankroll and half it to the prize pool, just be like it all goes into the damn prize pool. Yep. Um, that I, I think, but like it was just fun. Like the format was fun. Um, the being able to do it online from New Jersey, like on the app, was great. You didn't have to like go to the teller. That was a ton of fun. Um, you know that the, the leaderboard um, was good. It was nice to see like okay, like this is what I'm fading. This is what I'm doing. Like that was nice. Um, was really interested to see just which games the sh- like the they misbooked. Like for example, there was a college basketball game that was hilariously misbooked. Um, was Eastern Michigan against someone? Like Eastern Michigan opened up as a dog. They closed at minus three on DraftKings and they won by like thirty five. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And it was just, and like every sharp in the world was on the game, and I was just like, well, I guess I'll tail this one for a thousand, like fifteen hundred, real quick. Um. 
on my personal account, because like, you know, it was that's a special account. Yeah, that's what I wanted, not to cut you off, but that's what I want to ask you is, do you think it's an opportunity when you put the bet, you know, let's quote unquote, at least people who know what they're doing and, and have that bankroll to be able to enter and go, you know, fly into something like this. Is there, I don't even know if I really wanted to kind of say this, because I think it's something that I may end up doing kind of when you put the best better again, I know that they're not probably the best betters in the world, but they're successful plus EV betters. When you put them all in a room and make every bet they're making available in a contest, I think it's a general realistic expectation that they're going to finish with more money than they started. If you're a casual better, if you're out there, I would literally, you know, look and see the next time an event like this is happening. I would go there, look at the leaderboard because you kind of know who is who, you know, based on username or whatever, if it's their actual name and tail their bets on your own personal account. And I would say you would probably leave that weekend up a pretty good amount. Do you agree? Yeah. Well, the thing is, so like for the contest, like they would have special limits, right? So like you can kind of, kind of have that was another issue. Like if you, if it was play money, then you don't have to worry about limits, right? You could just let it go. Yep. Um, that's where having real cash was the problem. Cause they can't, you, you know, you couldn't just fire, you know, $30,000 on like a player prop, right? You know, like limit size. But again, like if you had, if it wasn't real cash that you were betting, like you wouldn't have any of those issues, which I think would kind of make the contest a little more fun. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree. Like, I, I definitely was tailing some, like, on my personal account. Like, I totally was tailing. Like, but I think they'll fix that next time. I think they won't release bets until the game starts. Um, Still live bet. I, I think. I, sense, I, yeah. I, I think that. I think that is one of the things that they will fix. Um, I think though it, it'll be interesting too because I think people will attempt the strategy differently because like the leaderboard didn't go up till Saturday, and if I was to do it all over again, I would have tried to win the tournament on Friday. Before anyone knew, right? You could have, if you're just deciding that you're going to go balls to the wall. I think if I would, if I had just gone balls to the wall on Friday and had, a, like, you know, it's not always going to happen, but like if you could turn 10K into like 50K and no one knows you're doing it, they walk in Saturday morning with like 14,000 and they see someone at 50, you can change how the whole tournament is played. Um, and I regret it not only because, I would have had I had a ton of winners on Friday and it worked out would have worked out great for me. Um, but I also just think it would have I think you some, one better can change the whole strategy and someone's going to try it next time. And that's why I think these are just like tournaments, because every tournament's going to come out a little different based on, you know, what bets win and what bets lose. Um, and that's where the theory of it will come into play. Like, you know, you're going to try to go balls to the wall on Friday or do you think there's some bad plays on Friday? People are going to get eaten up by those types of things. And that's why I think that this is going to be a thing. Someone's going to try it in the fall uh, during college because for football, it's so much even easier. It's like you have, you know, you have all the college bets on Saturday, all the NFL Sunday. You have the Sunday night hammer and you declare a winner Sunday night. Like just be so much fun. Do you think it's an accurate representation to be called the sports betting national championship off one weekend in the fall? I mean, no, but <laughs> that's the question no, that but, people are going to ask though. That's why but, I'm asking. But TFS live finals, like it's one day. Yeah. Like that, is that a record representation? No, but guess what? Like you also showed up and you made the best lineup on the day that matters. It's you like, I think there should be qualifiers to like, get there then. Yeah. I mean, I think that'd be cool. Um, I mean, I think you should let people always be able to pay in for a premium if they want to pay in for a premium. Yeah. Like, so that was the, like, you could pay in for face on this one, um, on DraftKings, which, okay, I get it. They were eating a gazillion dollars in overlay, but like in the future, like if you, if the seat values were like 10 K, like if you people want to buy in, like you're buying in for 15, 
right? It all goes to the prize pool, but you're buying in for 15, right? Like the professionals will still do it. Mm-hmm. Of course. But it will just raise the prize pool and then make those qualifiers kind of matter. I agree, man. Anything else we should cover when it comes to kind of comparing these two spaces? No, I think we did a pretty good job at least. Let's move over to what I feel is probably the most enticing conversation of this topic, which is the future of kind of sports betting and DFS and kind of how they can, you know, mold together as we just segued. But before we do that, as always, the Sports Gambling Podcast Network and the Inside Vegas Podcast are brought to you by MyBookie. MyBookie.ag is the official online sports book of the Sports Gambling Podcast Network and the Inside Vegas Podcast. Enter promo code SGP50 to activate your offer if you up to a 50% deposit bonus today. That is at promo code SGP50. Play, win, and get paid on mybookie.ag. You're already shopping at Amazon. Why not shop there and support the podcast as well? There are so many things on Amazon for the sports fan, the sports gambler to buy, and among them, of course, all of the sports gambling podcast merch. Get yourself a baby and whale tee, support the college experience. Everything and everything is over there on Amazon. Go to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Amazon, bookmark that link and use it every time you shop to help support the podcast. Let's move over to the future, bro. I think that is one of the um, kind of most, you know, with everything going on, this is probably the most exciting time. Again, like you talked about the quote unquote bubble or the boom of DFS sports gambling is going that way. When we look at this, to me, there's so many different things. The peer to peer kind of secondary markets that are being created in places other than Las Vegas, because again, Las Vegas is the old guard, Nevada gaming commission casinos do not want to change. They want, if it's not broke, don't fix it, which I can respect, uh, just because it does work. But when you look at, you know, these other places as well, you're, you know, the um, jerseys of the world all across the FanDuel's, they're really, you know, taking that offshore model of, you know, um, NFL draft props, um, Oscars bets, I know was the big disaster, of course, but they still took those and refunded, which is a little bit of the black eye. Um, you know, the peer-to-peer stuff is something that's absolutely incredible. We've had sport trade on. There's, of course, props up out here. You know, that to me is the future of what sports betting will become. I think there'll be a secondary market that you can essentially have a quote-unquote, you know, trading floor. Um, you know, what is kind of, in your estimation, being kind of the DFS expert in this space, what is kind of the next step or is there any, you know, is there no big changes? This is the model of DFS. It's peer to peer. Um, you're going to pay your vig and all that type of stuff. And there's not much really going to change when you look at both, you know, the future of both spaces. I mean, could it change? It could. Um, do I think there's any reason for it to change? I'm not quite sure there is like, um, I think the format works. I think people understand the format. It's pretty similar to just like your standard fantasy league. I think that I don't want to say the innovation's gone. Um, I think they could bring back survivors. I think they could bring back some things that really worked. I think World Cup type formats, tournaments they used to run, I think those should come back. Um, that's actually probably my first ask of. A, a partner that we're going to work with like can we get like world cup style where like you have like group play and then you have like match play like i, I think those type of things could come back they were they were always a ton of fun they're different but i think kind of the, the general like salary cap thing like i think that's kind of just going to be here to stay um but i think that's okay because i think that that's because i think sports betting is going to take up the rest of the space like, I think they're going to come up with all the creative, like, prop betting tournaments, you know. Um, for example, like, I, if I had realized what the Westgate baseball contest was when I was there, I would have bet it. I would have played it. Season win total one? I didn't realize it was a season win total contest. If I had realized what it was, I totally would have entered. Yep. Um, 
and I'm kind of pissed too because I'm off to a really good start win totals. <laughs> um, I looked at after the fact, I was like, oh, that's what that was? Like, yeah. oh, I was thinking like it was like baseball, you know, you need to have like a proxy. Yeah. And I was like, I can't do this on like, on like a whim. But then of course, like, uh, yeah, the, like that was pretty cool. But I think like, I think what like those type of things are going to be the ones where sports betting is going to take up the rest of the market space around like fantasy. And I think it's cool. Like, I, I think like, you know, it is, is prop betting contest DFS or sports betting? I think by name, it's technically sports betting, but is it, are the, is it going to be more of a DFS type approach to it? Yeah, it is. So, I mean, I, I think that they both are going to work really well together because they, you know, again, like sports betting is going to kind of be like your cash. Like, you know, you're going to kind of just turn a small profit over a long time and fantasy is still going to be the small to big boom type thing. Agree, man. Is there anything else in the space of sports betting that you see kind of that they could learn from what DFS was able to accomplish? Again, I know we've seen kind of leagues starting to at least publicly say that they're behind this, if for nothing else, to get a piece of that. We've seen the MGM MLB partnership with lineups and kind of the uproar that that caused. But what are the biggest takeaways from, you know, the model of the DFS boom that could make sports betting um, kind of reach that point? And conversely, I guess for both, you know, these type of things not go the way of, you know, online poker, poker stars, all that type of stuff. I know Black Friday is still something that is somewhat fresh in people's mind, which comes from the taboo of why gambling had such, you know, these outlets had such a bad name, but what is something that they can kind of take away from DFS from a model perspective of how to grow this product? Sports betting is not going to be a black market for much longer. And like black markets are bad. Like that's what online poker was. Um, and that's just something money that's going offshore, right? That's like never coming back. Um, and so if the, if the traditional brick and mortar casinos start treating sports betting like it's this black market on the east coast and it's not like the revolution they're going to get left behind um so the first book in vegas that makes a real move um and you know it quietly might be caesars having bought a lot of DraftKings, right that easily could be the first move um by a brick and mortar casino to like get fantasy back into vegas because like that's gonna be the one like once you can start hosting all the events back in vegas if you could like that's still the biggest taboo in the dfs world is like every live final should be in vegas but it can't be right, right? it's illegal like yep. every single one should be every single one the amount of the cool things you can do for a whole lot less than it says like and i say this i just got back from miami like if we could have done that in vegas for probably about like 40 percent of the cost yep and it's like it's just what it is. And it's just like, you can party in Vegas for less or more. Right. Um, like the space just costs less, uh, cause they want to get you out there. So like once the, once the, some, one of the brick and mortar casinos just buys out FanDuel or DraftKings and gets it back. I think that's when the boom starts because then they'll start getting into player props and they'll start making those type of decisions. But until then, like someone's going to make the move first and whoever does, I mentioned this right at the start, whoever gets aggressive first is going to really pay off. Have you done, have you seen at least um, the kind of the way that I believe it's the Westgate. I know there's a couple other casinos in town that do it. The Westgate's the only one that I've really, really checked out though. How they do their kind of quote unquote fantasy games or DFS for uh, the weekend slates. It's basically like horse racing for, for uh, fantasy players. Yeah, I've seen it. I've looked at it. I just, I didn't put enough time into it. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like that would take a couple hours and just building the spreadsheets. And I was just like, you know, I'm in Vegas. I have little uh, high, things higher, more priority than sitting in front of my laptop and building a quick model on it. 
Completely agree, man. Well, I cannot thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule, bro. Is there anything else that you think bears mentioning of something that you want to kind of put out there, but at least whether it be uh, DFS versus gambling, where where it's going, where it's been, anything and everything we didn't touch on? I think we touched about a lot. It'll be interesting to see what people what, what people disagree with us most about, though. It's a fascinating conversation. It really is because on the one hand, you know, game of skill versus gambling, the fantasy community kind of went it's through all, this as it's well. All, it's all skill. Can we I just agree. Talk about it's all skill. Yes, let's talk about it's it. Tell it. me. It's, it's all, come on, stop it. If anyone who's doing, anyone who knows good sports betters knows it's skill-based, like, just knock it off, will you? Just, <laughs> that, that was, like, the biggest load of crap argument ever. It always pissed me off. Like, sports betting is freaking a game of skill. Come on. Is DFS stop. gambling in your estimation, or is it a game of skill? It's a game of skill. It's all games of skill. Is poker? Or did poker hurt the yes. DFS and sports gambling industry with that kind of argument? I mean, poker... Poker just got screwed because there was no U.S. company and no U.S. Co- no interest. If one of these companies had been headlined in the United States, that would have gone down completely different. Completely agree, man. It's it's going to be fascinating to see where. Like this if DraftKings wasn't in Boston, there might not be DFS. Ooh, yep, I would agree. Like, like that's because yeah. that Massachusetts AG opinion meant everything. And what are they going to do? The company's headquartered in Boston. What are they going to do? To call it illegal? <laughs> right, right, right. Makes a ton of sense, man. Um, again, cannot thank you. Check him out on Twitter at the Siege DFS. His website, arborpro.com, A-R-B-O-U-R-P-R-O.com. Some of the best in the industry out there providing you with the information you need to cash in DFS consistently, man. Anything I missed, anything that you want to plug out there, um, wish you nothing but the most continued success with your company in the DFS industry, sports betting, and everything else that you're doing out there, man. Anything else you want to plug? Anything else you have going on? No, you should just tout your own picks, man. They're they're very fun to tell. I appreciate it, bro. Well, we will see each other soon, I'm sure. If nothing else, the next time you're in Vegas, um, continue your great success, bro. We'll talk soon. All right, man. Sounds good.